Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Happy Saturday. Welcome to All The Things. I am Monique Dusan, and this is the show where we talk about all things related to God, the Bible, and real life. Now, if you have watched any episode of All The Things, I'm sure you are wondering where my partner in crime is, Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And unfortunately, she cannot be here with us tonight. Now, another side notice to the the strangeness or oddity of this particular broadcast is the fact that we are actually live to tape. And so we will have moderators in our, I can't even say that word, moderators in our chat so you can chat live with us. But unfortunately, this show is going to be a pre-recorded show. This is going to be a great conversation, though. We are speaking with Christopher Yuan, Dr. Christopher Yuan, on his project, Holy Sexuality, and looking at the issues behind transgenderism and the Side B conversation. If you're not familiar with what Side B is, stay tuned because this show is going to break it all the way down for you. Tonight's show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity, Theology Mom, and Family 210 Clothing. Please check out our websites. You can do so um, in the credits that roll at the end to see exactly where to go. Now, I want to bring on Dr. Christopher Yuan so that we can start this conversation immediately. I think that this is going to be a great conversation and it's going to be super informative as to what is happening in regards to sexuality. All right. Hello, Christopher. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Monique. Great to be with you guys. Now, let's jump right in. Please tell our guests a little bit about yourself, how you came to faith, and actually how you started speaking out about sexuality. Yeah, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. I didn't come out until the early um, until my early 20s. I'm originally from Chicago, and I was going to dental school at that time in Louisville, Kentucky. I came out of the closet. Amazingly, my mother came to faith, and then my father did as well. And I went the total opposite direction. Unfortunately, I was spending a lot of time in the gay clubs. I went from relationship to relationship. I also started experimenting with drugs and selling drugs. And this whole time, while I was in dental school, I was three months before I was to receive my doctorate, and the administration of the school expelled me. So I moved from Louisville to Atlanta where I kept doing what I knew how to do best. I was living in the world, having fun, partying, not only selling drugs, but also supplying drugs. And this whole time, my parents didn't know that I was doing drugs, but they knew my biggest need was know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So they tried to reach out to the love of Christ. I wanted nothing to do with it. They came to visit me one time. I told them to get out. And the funny thing is, you know, we hear the narrative, Monique, today that Christian parents who believe in the Bible cannot love their gay child. I had the exact opposite experience. My parents weren't Christian. They rejected me. My parents became followers of Christ, and they knew that they could do nothing other than to love me as God loved them while they were still sinners. So they came. They I kicked them out. My dad gave me his Bible. I threw in the trash can, and my parents knew that I was just hopeless. But my mom and dad committed not to focus upon hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And they just prayed along with over 100 prayer warriors. My mom prayed. 
the almost impossible prayer, God, do whatever it takes. And that my mom fasted every Monday for seven years, once fasted 39 days on my behalf for a miracle. And that miracle came. I was arrested, found myself in jail. I was walking around the cell block. I passed by this garbage can. And lo and behold, on top of the trash was a Gideon's New Testament. Took it back to myself, began reading it. And that was when God began convicting me of my sin, my idols, delivered me from uh, the addiction for drugs. But I still was holding on to this concept of my sexuality. Reading through the Bible, I talked to the chaplain. He actually gave me a book that was actually affirming of gay relationships, essentially rejecting biblical sexuality. So I was thinking, great, I can have like my cake and eat it too. And um, had that book in one hand, the Bible in the other, and everything inside of me wanted to affirm it, but it was God's Holy Spirit convicted me that this was a distortion of God's word. So I gave it back to the Bible, turned the Bible alone, and I just read through every verse looking for justification, couldn't find any. So this turning point, I was like, either reject God, live as a gay man, or reject uh, reject pursuing same-sex relationships by not putting my identity and my sexuality and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it was just God's grace that helped me to follow Jesus. So after the days and months of abstinence, I realized my sexuality should not be the core of who I am, which is getting to what we're talking about now, about this side B. And, you know, everything, I, I was just looking for anything to justify. And this is not the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. But then as a sinner, I wanted to add to God's truth, which unfortunately we as sinners sometimes want to do. And I told myself, God doesn't want me to change. But I realized that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval Mm. of my behavior. Oh, that's good. It's my identity shouldn't be defined by my sexuality, shouldn't be grounded in my desires, whether sexual or romantic. My identity is not gay, ex-gay, or even heterosexual for that matter, because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy for I am holy. And, you know, I used to think that to become a Christian, I had to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex. I, did, I had to be heterosexual, which meant I needed to be attracted to the opposite sex. As a matter of fact, I was under the false impression the more sexually attracted I were to lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. But I realized that heterosexuality, it's the right direction. It's not the right goal. It's too broad. God never commands us be heterosexual for I am heterosexual. Neither does he say be homosexual for I am homosexual. Instead, God says be holy for I am holy. That's the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the right goal. Doesn't go far enough, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. Okay, hold on. I'm, I'm gonna stop you there because you have said a lot and you said a lot of good things. I'm gonna start at the beginning with the fact that you threw your dad's Bible in the trash, but then hello, <laughs> here you are met with the Bible in the you trash can. That. That's right. Isn't that amazing how God, I mean, he's just so humorous. You know, I just, I hated God. I hated what, you know, what this religion and all my friends in the gay community are saying about the, about Christians and Christianity and stuff like that. I, I didn't want any of that. They were in the trash. And it was just year, a year or more later in prison, 
found a Bible in the trash. A lot of times people are like, was that, you know, your dad's Bible? No, it wasn't my dad's Bible. <laughs> but as we know from Isaiah, God's word always, it never returns void, which is so beautiful. Yeah. It's, I mean, that, sometimes people ask me, what, who was it? What ministry was it in prison that led you to Christ? It was God, the Holy Spirit and his word, which is- The ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a yes. whole ministry. It is. It, yes. We sometimes sort of forget that and 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 sort of relegate that as somehow unimportant and try to replace that with a ministry or a program or a person and God can use that. But if those ministries, those programs, that person is not empowered by the Holy Spirit, isn't guided and directed in his word, there's no power in that ministry. There's no power in that evangelism. There's no power in any of that. Yes. It has to be under, undergirded with that. Go so, ahead and preach. You're about to make me bust out a tambourine. Give me a second. Come on now. Get your fan up. Right? Oh, honey, don't play no games. I have a fan right here. I will fan you. Now, here's the next thing that, that you said, and actually was the last thing. I'm going to go to the second thing you said last. The last thing you said is that that of a biblical identity or a Christ-centered identity and how your identity is no longer wrapped up in being a homosexual. However, that... Placing your identity in heterosexuality isn't exactly the right thing either because the word doesn't say be heterosexual as I am heterosexual or be homosexual as I am homosexual. Talk a little bit more about that identity piece and how oftentimes as believers, we can misplace our identity or just as humans. I, I think this is a human problem as well. But in the church, we will place our identity in heterosexuality, I am heterosexual, thus I am saved. I am a Christian and all of these things versus, you know, the homosexual, I that person is not because they are yes. homosexual. So then our salvation is based on these sexual acts or where we place our our identity in regards to sexuality. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do want to be clear Um Homosexuality, putting your identity in that, uh, there's nothing good about that. It's all sinful. The, the desires, even um, what, and we'll talk about this later, this concept of orientation, which I think is not a biblical concept, uh, which equates somehow your predisposition with your identity and your personhood. Identity sometimes is misunderstood as if like how you identify. That's not what we're talking about. Identify or labels. Identity is talking about essence, personhood, ontology. But um, what I want to be clear, homosexuality is the worst. It, it's not, I'm sorry, not the worst, but it is worse than, than uh, because it's, there's, it's sinful. Uh, now, heterosexuality, there is some good in man and woman in marriage. Not any man, not any woman. See, this is where my critique of heterosexuality, obviously the homosexuality is all sinful. Heterosexuality, we do have one example, man and woman, and specifically not just any man and not just any woman, but specifically husband and wife in marriage is blessed by God. My issue with the concept of heterosexuality is not that it's fully wrong. It's not. It's just not fully right. So what I think... God's word is always challenging us as Jesus came in the first century. He was challenging uh, us to become as biblical and precise as possible. Heterosexuality, it's not fully correct. What do I mean? The concept is so broad that it includes concepts like adultery between a man and a woman. They're not married. 
um, sex before marriage, fornication, uh, people who aren't married. And so the concept of heterosexuality, it's too broad and it's a secular Freudian concept. So we must always be more precise when we use too broad of a category. It can really, it can not be very clear of what is God's complete, perfect, precise, accurate calling. And it kind of clouds the water when the world is mudding the water. We shouldn't add to the muddiness. Uh, so that's why we need to be very, very precise. Um, and, and actually hear this uh, often in, in the church. You know, well, at least my son, he's not gay. You know, he's sleeping with his girlfriend. I mean, that's not too bad. You know, pornography, you know, we're not hurting anyone. Heterosexual sin is sin. So we need to be careful when we lift up the broad concept of heterosexuality without any qualifications, uh, we could actually be inadvertently uh, actually endorsing sin. We need to be very precise, which is why, God, I, I was like, we need a, a, a very accurate, precise definition and this is where, you know, I, my book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, in the video series, The Holy Sexuality Project, wants to give Christians and the world the most accurate description of what God is calling us to. The term heterosexuality, to be honest, says nothing about how you and I ought to live. We're both single. Yeah. I'm open to getting married. If the goal is to be attracted to the opposite sex, then that means I would be sinning. You would be sinning. If right now the goal for you is to be sexually attracted to men, you're not married. Any man that you're sexually attracted to, any woman that I'm sexually attracted to, any desires that I have, those desires are sinful. I need to resist those. That's why it's chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. Heterosexuality does not communicate chastity and singleness. So that's why we needed a much more precise, robust talking about the two conditions that human beings find themselves when it comes to relationships, what you know, you're unmarried. Every one of us are unmarried, starting at birth. Like, I've never met anyone who was born married, so that's default. <laughs> Singly, we're 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 default, and yet many will marry. and And I just want to be very, very clear to your listeners and and watchers. There's only one definition of marriage that we find in the Bible that Jesus gives when he was asked about divorce. Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10, and his answer goes back to Genesis 1.27, Genesis 2.24, created made the male and female, the two shall become one flesh, what God has put together, let man not separate. Um, so we see that marriage, there's only one definition, God's definition there, the world has distorted that definition to be anything, and that's wrong, but marriage between one man and one woman, and when people, God, you know, provides that, then the call is to be faithful to your spouse of the opposite sex. So holy sexuality definition is just chastity in singleness or faithfulness in marriage. The term might sound new, but the the concept is not. It just comes right out of the pages of scripture. Uh, well, this that was going to be my third point, was this definition that you used of biblical or holy sexuality. You used both of those words and that it's so much more than just simply not having sex b before you get married or having, you know, heterosexual sex, that there is a scriptural definition for what marriage should look like and what holy sexuality should look like. 
simply because you identify as a homosexual or heterosexual, I'm sorry, as heterosexual, does not mean that you still won't struggle with those perversions. And those perversions must be listed out as sin. Like if you are out here lusting after, you know, your boyfriend or your girlfriend and thinking, well, you know, we're going to be married soon and this is normal and things like that. No, those things must also come in check and we must live according to the holy lifestyle that is put forward for us in the scriptures. Yes. But and it, if I could point out go ahead. what I laughed so much in what Krista and you, Monique, wrote in your forthcoming book that I had the blessing to read. I just laughed so much. I think it was in the introduction when you said um, accidental fornication. It, it was that start with me yes <laughs> well oh my yes. goodness right oh i just it accidentally oops i mean if I, it I'm... wasn't intentional it was an accident right like i have come a long I, way I, yeah uh, I, I, oh i don't oh we we hit each other oh i'm sorry did we just have sex that way <laughs> it, it, the goal the thought was that it wasn't pre-planned so it must be an accident and if you have, if you want to know more about what Christopher and I are talking about, make sure to pre-order our book, yes. Walking in Unity. Thankfully um, and graciously, we had the opportunity to send a pre-release copy to Christopher and he graciously offered a beautiful endorsement. Thank you right. so much. Yes. But yes, I but do But that comes up to what we're talking about. Just it, this, yeah. this, this idea, even on Christians that, oh, you know, accidental fornication or just, well, we love each other. I mean, there's all these justifications that we make. It's sin. I mean, it's closer to, uh, you know, the fact that it is male and female, but it's not any male, any female. It's marriage that is the, the only context for sex. And so we need to be much more precise because not only do we find that, like you say, you know, with people that are justifying fornication and adultery, but I, I hear sometimes Christians that then are celebrating when, like for myself, uh, someone who used to identify as gay, I used to be pursuing same-sex relationships and they go through you know, this process and then they begin lusting after women. They're not married yet. You know, and, and they're like, wow, you know, I, you know she's hot or sick, you know, I would, whatever, We're objectifying women. That's sin, and we need to call that out. But I've seen instances where pastors were like celebrating. Um, yeah. So we just need to be really clear that God's standard for holiness is perfection. It is perfect. And to communicate that chastity and singleness, not just abstinence. I was very precise about even using the word chastity because abstinence is more about the no. Chastity is more about the yes. It's about purity, holiness, all good things faithfulness. And then some people thought, well, why don't you just say chastity and singleness, chastity and marriage? The reason why I chose faithfulness is because chastity seems to be more about like what I'm going to do. It's a, more about like my personal, just, you know, kind of just me, but faithfulness is about the other. Like, mm. you know, when you're married, I'm thinking about my other, I'm unconditionally loving that I'm giving myself up for the other. So that's why I was specific to use those words, chastity in singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And if I can add, I'm just rambling, uh, no, but <laughs> I, I also did not use the word celibacy. Some of your uh, watchers now might think, well, what's the difference? Chastity and, and celibacy, aren't they the same thing? I would say 10 years ago, 
there were more synonymous and interchangeable. But in this discussion around sexuality, and we're going to be talking about this more side B, it has been kind of co-opted to pretty much only mean, especially when we're talking about sexuality, to be this so-called lifelong chosen vocation that is found nowhere in the Bible. I did a whole study, a uh, word study on celibacy, and um, it's nowhere to be found in the Bible. It's not found in the Greek New Testament. It's not found in the Hebrew Old Testament. Um the word celibacy is from a Latin root, celibatus, which we find, we won't even find in the Latin Vulgate, which is from the fifth century. We'd only find it in later medieval Roman Catholic church tradition. And I would much rather follow scripture, sola scriptura, than human tradition, which is, yeah. which can be fallen. Um, so I, it's chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. You know, in, in looking at the scriptures and what the scriptures say, I thought it was very interesting in your book how you lay out um, a narrative for creation, fall, redemption, and glorification or restoration or consummation. Sorry, not restoration, but consummation. And just how those are so connected to sexuality. Yeah. Can you, as we as we begin to dig deeper, I want to make sure that we have a firm foundation for everything else that we say as we address things like side B or people who might promote um, homosexual marriage and things like that. Can you give us a, a little bird's eye view into your ideas behind how sexuality is um, interrelated to the four movements of scripture? Definitely. I think that always needs to be in the forefront when we're understanding God's truth, um, how we shall live. And it's what theologians, Bible scholars, we call God's grand story. Uh, so it's not just focusing on, you know, what the, what the different verses say, but understanding the breadth of God's, uh, revelation, special revelation to humanity starts in creation, then fall, then redemption, then consummation. In other words, we're all God created the whole world. God created the universe. He created humanity in His own image. But then we rebelled in in in, in Eden, in the Garden, uh, Adam and Eve, and that set a trajectory not only for the human race but all of creation. And then, as we're groaning for our redemption and restoration in Christ, so Christ came, redeemed humanity, redeemed the world, but then the story's not over yet. We are being redeemed, we are being restored, we are being, you know, uh, sanctified in Christ for those who are called to him, and and then ultimately, in the last day, will we all be consummated on the last day. In other, in other words, everything is fully completed on that or restored. Also, that's a term that you could use as well. Um, so keeping that in mind, I think that applies to everything, particularly sexuality. Um, we're all created in God's image, which is a good thing. That means we all have value and dignity. Even the unbeliever is created in God's image. Now, we need to know the distinction between being created in the image of God and being a child of God. The Bible communicates these as different concepts. We shouldn't mm -hmm. confuse them. Not every person is a child of God, while every person is. That's right. While every person is 
created in the image of God. As a matter of fact, Paul even says, before we knew Christ, before we were children of God, we were children of wrath because we're sinners and we deserve God's punishment. A lot of times people are like, so are gays and lesbians going to hell? And my answer is always, well, we all are. Apart from Christ, yeah. we all deserve God's consequence, God's penalty, which is why we all need Christ. So understanding we're all creating God's image, everyone has value and dignity, and this so applies to biblical unity. And and this is where we so connect. This is the the nice overlap between what we're doing when it comes to humanity and ethnicity and humanity and sexuality, that um, uh, our foundation for social justice is not, or, or for fighting for people's value and dignity is not because of our commitment to social justice. The why, the reason why we do this is because we're all created in the image of God. So that's so key in, in, in these conversations that we have that have this wonderful overlap, but we're fallen. So just as these discussions about discrimination and ethnicity, where we get wrong, it's the fall. In the same way, when it comes to sexuality, actually all of us, when it comes to sexuality, it's broken in some way, in different ways, but also similar ways in that it's all sin. Um, and so for some, it can be opposite sex, sexual lustful desires, or it can even many times for women might not be sexual in nature, but romantic in nature. That's very common. I mean, a lot, you know, which is why these Christian romantic novels are sinful. That's there's, we shouldn't be kind of celebrating or trying to foster all these romantic desires for people that aren't our spouse or fantasizing and stuff like that. That's equivalent sexual desires that are sinful aren't really any different from romantic sinful desires. Um, which is also why the side B is sinful and off, um, because they don't condemn the romantic side. But um, so we see the fall has distorted that. And for some, that has resulted in the distortion of same sex. And that's just part of our sin nature, which all needs to be restored, which points to the redemption. Christ came not only just to forgive us, but to restore us and to redeem us. And that process of sanctification that we all are on is both, and I talk about this in my book, is it's both at a certain time, it's positional, but it's also progressive, but it's also future. So we are sanctified, we are being sanctified, and we will be sanctified. These are, it's just all terminology coming right out of scripture, not something that I made up. Um, so it, it, those are important things that this redemption sets us on this path of sanctification until the last day when we will be fully sanctified. So understand that is helpful and also understanding relationships, understanding marriage in light of eternity, in light of consummation, that actually there will be no marriage in eternity and understanding singleness in light of eternity and consummation and that actually we will all be single individually, but we corporally will be wed to the Lamb of God. So all of that, including gender, which I it, I didn't talk too much in my book, but I definitely talked about it in this video series uh, for teens where I added an extra lesson on on gender and sex. Now, I put that in quotes because now the world has redefined gender, but that is rooted in creation, that we are, we are sexed beings. I, I don't like to say we're sexual because that gives the impression that, like, I got to have sex and like, you know, it's an accident when I commit fornication. Hey, <laughs> I'm not going to let go of that. <laughs> 
Well, I think you're hitting on some good things. First of all, I had no idea that there were Christian romance novels. I have just learned something new today. Like, that is deep. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't even really know where to put that in my brain. That people yes. are, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't really know what to do with that at all. But in regards to this creation, fall, um, redemption, glory, I just completely... Conservation. Messed that up, but as, in regards to the four movements of scripture, um, focusing on that whole Genesis one and two, you know, those passages there, that's where we hit on a lot in Amen. looking at God's reality, his thoughts for humans, even prior to the fall. And you know, that he has spoken something over humans. He had he had an idea, you know, in his mind of humans. He there there is something intentional, I'll say that, intentional about humanity that God had planned from the beginning. And so when okay. we look at that and how we when we look at how the image of God plays into that, one of the things that I, I find interesting is that you, it early on in your book, you mentioned that this idea of, and we've hit on it a little bit, but I'm hoping you can expound upon it because you, you said something earlier about it, but this idea that we are born as heterosexuals may be missing the mark as to how to think about human persons at birth. And you even mentioned it just a while ago in saying that we are not sexually, you know, sexual beings when we are born, but we are sexed beings. And I think that actually speaks to the homosexual, bisexual, heterosexual conversation. So before we go on, can you just kind of speak into that a little bit and offer some definition and clarity for yes. all of us? Yeah. When we're talking about sexuality, we need to know the difference and not confuse sex male and female with sexuality, our sexual desires, not the same thing. I know a lot of times they're they're definitely related, but not the same. I, I, I don't know if you can tell so far. I'm, um, well, I'm a man, so that, that might be a surprise. No, men, we tend to be very, like we put everything into categories and, and I, I, that's just the way I am. I guess I'm very scientific in that way. Um, I mean, I'm Chinese, so I guess that should be expected, right? <laughs> Uh, so we see, you know, I like to have these clear categories um, and not to confuse them. So when it comes to sexuality about our desires, that's not exactly the same thing as our sex, male and female, and not to confuse those. We are born male or female, um, and that is our sex. Uh, now, of course, we often will... Um, equate or treat a synonym sex and gender. Unfortunately, I think we need to be more careful with our words because now the world has redefined that and because that they've kind of ruined that word. So be careful about using those words. I think in general, because if you say gender, when you mean sex, um, even though it used to mean the same thing, it now no longer does. And we need to yes. kind of, even though I reject that concept, we need to be aware of our words because I want to be precise and not confused in and the same way. matter. Exactly. Terms Words matter. matter. And Words I don't know matter. that people really understand that. I've seen so many pastors and pulpits talk about in, in my sphere, you know, the marginalized and the oppressed. And we must stand on the side of the marginalized and the oppressed without ever giving any clarity or definition as to what they mean. Or they'll say, you know, we have to realize that gender, this, this and the third. And it's like, 
what are you, what are you meaning by that? Because yes. the world has co-opted these terms. And I would argue that gender may not actually even be a biblical concept where sex would be. That's and right. So we as believers must be very clear in our our definitions. Yes, that's right. And and I you're exactly right. The redefinition of gender now is not biblical. In the same way, the whole framework of the marginalized and oppressed has now been co-opted using a faulty biblical framework. And this is why it's so amazing, uh, Monique, how our ministries, as you're focusing on, on biblical unity and ethnicity, um, and I'm focusing on sexuality and gender, uh, or, or this concept of uh, false concept of gender, there's so much overlap because what you brought up, this concept of marginalized and oppressed, well, that has infiltrated the church now, and it's now expressing its rotten fruit as what? Side B, so-called gay celibate Christianity. If you listen to all of the speakers that that that, that speak on this, uh, whether from Revoice or whether you know from you know they they have something called like the Christian Sexuality Course and you know uh, the, the Center, uh, you know all these speakers, Preston Sprinkle, you know. What you see is very compassionate. They're dealing with the marginalized and oppressed, which you know what that is? That is co-opting a secular, unbiblical framework that is really critical theory just put over on sexuality. Okay, now before we get too far down, because I see we have gone from here and what does the Bible say about the four movements of scripture? And now we are way down here on the other side of Chicago talking about side B. So let's bring it in just a bit. Let's let's kind of rope it in. And before we get too far down, because up until now, we've simply like alluded to side B, kind of thrown this, this word in or this term in here and there. But I really want us to dig deep by offering, because terms matter, I want us to offer definition. I am not um, afraid or ashamed to name names. We can name names and let people know, hey, this is not the way. And if you see this name, it's not to be mean or rude, but it is their words and you should be aware of those people and their ideas. So it's the ideas that matter. Ideas yes. cause change in society and in churches. And so the, the, the idea that we might name a name is not because I hate this person or because I think this person is a horrible person. It's because that person has a particular idea that might send your church down a path that could lead to destruction. Yes. And so, also, I mean, in calling people to restoration, hopefully yes. they will come back to biblical clarity and gospel centeredness, not embracing these secular frameworks that, like you say, it's not helpful. I just got off a phone with a large church and they were using, you know, one of these newer courses. They couldn't get through the first two lessons and they had to stop. You know why? Even though the first lesson said, this is what marriage is. If you missed that first lesson and you watch the others and the teenagers were there, you would have no idea whether this was a Matthew Vines or a Jen Hatmaker course or whatever. Everything else, you know, it was just kind of like trying to put a sticker on it and say, oh, look, we have these, you know, two people that, you know, or we say marriage is that. And then we have some two people that are, you know, that that seem or have a history of being biblical, which if you follow closely, they don't anymore. Yeah. But um, but but then all these other speakers are I'm gay and Christian and and, and some of these are just so cringe where they're not just interviewing just people who would identify. I mean, it's even some of these people are just so flamboyant and over the top 
um, in in their expression. It's and even celebratory of being gay. It's 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 pushing our kids over into the arms of the world. Well, let's let's define exactly what we're talking about with precision, because part yeah. of the confusion that Krista and I see surrounding the conversation of holy or biblical sexuality is that there appears to be these different ideas floating out here in the evangelical realm from different church leaders and pastors like um, Preston Sprinkle or uh, Matthew Vines or Rosaria Butterfield, our friends, Beckett Cook, you know what I mean? And so there are these different voices out here. And when a young person comes out, depending on who their youth leader is or what their parents may know or who their script or their school teachers are, they might get different counsel based on the different leanings and understandings that these adults may have. And so one of the things that um, we've done at the Center for Biblical Unity is we've created a a parent Facebook group. It's a, a closed and private group, but we have a group where people can go when their children either deconstruct, come out as um, identifying mm-hmm. along the LGBTQ plus spectrum and they want support and things like that. But one of the things that we continuously hear is my child talked to their Christian youth leader and was given Preston Sprinkle as a resource. So let's do this. First of all, let's look at exactly what are the three or four major pieces of this conversation. So we are very concerned about side B, but before we define side B, what is the other side? Yes. The, the, and I don't know if it's called side A, I would call it side A, because to me that just is logical, but this is the side, and I, would, and I really want you to talk about this, the side that everyone I think would disagree with, and that's the side that you can be an openly gay Christian. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 called side A, but also I mean it's also heresy. So you know it's clearly what it's saying. It's a distortion of what Scripture says that uh, they people believe that God blesses any form of marriage as long as two people love each other. It could be anything, and so you have people like Matthew Vines, Justin Lee, Andy Stanley. Uh, now he hasn't fully come out yet, but ten years ago when I saw him in a closed meeting, I knew that um, that he was gay affirming. He's having a well, big Andy, conference. Yeah. I'm sorry, he has a conference coming out, I think, at the end of this month or next month, yep. where he and has just, Justin Lee Justin speaking. Lee, who's now married uh, to a man. Uh, and I put I have to put mar- uh, marriage in quotes because it's he's yeah. not married before, in God's eyes, but he's, he's living in sin, as he was living in sin, because I know I actually, you know, was on a... I, I reviewed his book, The Gospel Coalition asked me to review his book uh, years ago, and... Um, so I know him. We've had some conversations together. And so he he at that time was like, you know, I'm not sinning. Um, he was, uh, even though he wasn't in a same-sex relationship. Uh, just a quick side uh, side thing here. We all know Romans 1, uh, 18 through 32. Uh, a lot of times we focus on the 26 and 27 on homosexuality, which is important that it is sin. Uh, and what is unnatural is going against, contrary to God's uh, created order. Why do we know that? Because eight different times, and I have a whole chart, I have a whole whole uh, talk on this, 
eight different times Paul was pulling words from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Genesis, uh, words pointing back to Genesis. So why is idolatry wrong? It's unnatural. It's going against God's created order. Why is homosexuality wrong? It's going against God's created order. But my point here is that's not the worst of the worst sins. The worst of the worst sins is what's mentioned at the very, very end of Romans 1 verse 32, where it says, and they gave approval. It wasn't that they were just doing it. They were approving of it. That, according, if we're just going to take it logically, that is the worst of worst. So, and not only was Justin Lee doing that before in Matthew Vines, but to be honest, also those that are side B, you know, the the whole list, as you say, Preston, Sprinkle, and others that are the revoice, you know, that are involved with that. Okay, before list. you you are you keep going down this. I know. Okay, I'll go back. Yes, I will define. B. Yes, so I will define that. Christopher. But I know that was the my... definitions. We just said terms matter. Okay. Yes. So, so side A would be mm-hmm. those that say God uh, blesses same sex marriage. Yeah. Uh, side B would be those that say, well, oh no, well let, let me go back. Side A are they just say I am gay. That can never change. That's just uh, who I am, and that and God blesses same sex marriage. That's side okay. A. Side Would that B. go into fixed orientation? Oh yes, oh yes, okay. both both do. Yep. Okay. Yes, both would would are they're fixed, which is a lie, which is a myth. Uh, any of you that are interested, read Dr. Lisa Diamond. Not a Christian. She's a lesbian queer scholar. She has a book called Sexual Fluidity. Fascinating. Not a Christian. Uh, so don't read that as if it's a Christian book. It's not, but it's fascinating because she completely demolishes every argument or any false idea that sexuality is fixed. Dr. Lisa Diamond. It is very fluid, especially among women. Among men, it can be more fixed, but it's not completely. Um, Just from all the evidence out there. It doesn't mean that we can just kind of switch it on and off like that, but evidence is showing that there is fluidity and this this that this idea that somehow sexuality is fixed in every person is a myth, complete myth, and it's been demolished by actually every queer scholar out there just by simple things. It's something called facts. <laughs> um, so uh, we have side A, and, and where do we get this? Well, it came years ago when people were frustrated with Exodus and, and that movement. People were like, well, I tried, I couldn't change. So they kind of it was a pendulum. So they formed this group called the Gay Christian Network, and they were all people who identified as gay and say, we can't change. But there were some people that said, um, God blesses same-sex marriage. Those were most in that group, the side A. And there were a few that said, no, um, I am gay. I can't change. And I just need to grit and bear it and not act on it and be so-called celibate. And those were side B. So they had these conferences, Gay Christian Network, that Justin Lee formed and and now he's no, no longer over that. They change it. They're no longer gay Christian network. They're Q Christian network, which what does that mean? I don't know. They didn't even define what Q means. But then the two realize that actually they're it's not healthy uh, for so-called gay celibate Christians to be with uh, the side A Christians. So they split apart. And so side A continued with Matthew Vines. He wrote his book. You don't have to read his book, God and the Gay Christian. Uh, Christianity Today asked me to review that book. You could read that instead. 
but then side B formed this other group called spiritual friendship. So these are all terms that you may uh, might have heard of, spiritual friendship. Where do they get that? They got that from an 11th century Cistercian monk who is very mystical and believed that monks, what they needed is to form these spiritual friendships. So they would actually get married but not have sex. It's crazy. Uh, not biblical. But he's a monk. And so these spiritual friendship folks are trying to take that on and apply it to them, which for one, we don't rely on church human tradition. We we read it, but we critique it because we're sola scriptura. But two, we're not monks. We should not live as monks. We should not live as monast- in monasteries. That's not a biblical concept. It's, it's a church human tradition concept. Um, and it's sinful. So a lot of times people will say, oh, well, you know, they hold to traditional homosexuality. Preston holds to traditional homosexuality. West Hill holds to traditional revoice. They don't. I want to be very, very, very clear here. Forming what they call these spiritual friendships where two men who have same such attractions, they get married. They don't call it marriage because this is, this is a thing. Satan, what he does is he takes things and then nuances them. A lot of times I hear people, oh, we just need to be nuanced. No, we don't need more nuance. We need more of Jesus. So what we have is people are just changing definitions. Mormons will say they believe the same thing, but the reality is we have the same vocabulary. We have different dictionaries. They have redefined everything. And in the same way, spiritual friendship, there's they say they hold to traditional sexuality, but they're promoting gay marriage without the sin. If you see on the Center for, uh, you know, what they call Center for Sexuality and Gender Faith, whatever faith that means. Um, there's an article uh, written by one of the staff members who identifies as a gay, so-called gay celibate Christian, and he's promoting these, what you call these covenant friendships uh, or celibate relationships, which is, it really is gay marriage about this, uh, uh, you know, without the sin. Now, in the article, you're going to read that that's derogatory, but truth is derogatory to those who are preaching false truth. That's very important. Truth is derogatory for those that are preaching the false truth. So we do need to call it what it is, and they don't hold to biblical sexuality. So that's why it's so dangerous. So uh, so that's side A, side B, and then um, the other sides are... Let me, let me, let me um, just recap and make sure that I'm understanding. So side A would say born this way, God blesses any loving union, we can get married. And that's that we're Christian. We believe in Jesus and we we're going to, you know, do us because we believe that God will bless any, any union. Side B would say that your sexual orientation still is fixed, but the act of homosexual sex is wrong so you can come together with your homosexual partner in a spiritual friendship they wouldn't call it marriage they would call it your spiritual friendship and as long as you are not having homosexual sex which also makes me wonder of well how far does that go is it just as long as it's not the explicit act but they they will they promote living together owning things together sleeping together holding hands cuddling on a couch together as long as they don't have sex or penetration it's so 
unrealistic and sinful, but it seems, oh, well, we feel sorry for them and, 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 and you know, we, we need to do something for them. And, and this is why some of this critical theory is these are the oppressed, they're the right. marginalized. Right. And so we need to show them compassion and pity and, and just they're, they're having such a hard time. And so we need to help them so much to help emancipate them and bring them to the place of fulfillment where they can yes, be and happiness. you know free and not, not to that, the side not that Christ is the one that gives us the hope and joy in the midst of suffering but we need to help them and be nicer and 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 love in in the worldly sense you do you so yes that is a good kind of a summary of side A and side B where both are really promoting sin. Now, you mentioned a, a guy named Preston Sprinkle who would uphold side B. And I find that extremely interesting and puzzling because Biola University is the sponsor of the Preston Sprinkle podcast. Yes. Yeah. And I would hope in my heart that maybe they're simply unaware of what side B is. I think they are very aware. Yeah. Yeah. They're very aware. Um, I've spoken at maybe uh, 60 or 70 Christian schools um, and um, uh, a lot of schools have uh, used to be years ago where, um, you know, it used to be over a dozen Christian schools every year, uh, you know, asking me to speak. And uh, because, you know, I, I just, when I speak, I, I don't want it to be about anything that I believe, any thing about, you know, kind of what are my thoughts. I want to be full of grace and full of truth and communicate biblical clarity. That's why I always want it. Like all these categories are theological biblical categories. Mm-hmm. Creation, fall, redemption, uh, consummation, even the concept of holy sexuality, chastity, and singleness, faithfulness, marriage. I'm always grounding in scripture, not human tradition, not in stories. Um, you know, uh, people who identify as gay and, and all these stories and stuff like that, or, or even, you know, uh, people who are trans. Um, you know, I think uh, the center that we were talking about, you know, Preston, his he's he's discipled, mentored by someone who uses they them pronouns. Wow, that's that's crazy. Um, and so we, we see that it's the, a lot of Christian schools, uh, aren't addressing this by people who are biblical, Rosaria, Beckett, or myself. And there, you know, 10 years ago, what happened 15 years ago, what I saw happening was more and more Christian schools where I would go and speak and they would have protests. It would be led by students about seven years ago. Uh, what changed they still had protests, but it was actually the professors and the staff that were actually organizing these protests. So we find that problematic. Um, but I sometimes see that as a lit- litmus test for uh, where Christian schools are. If they're bold enough to have someone who speaks clarity, not just full of grace at the expense of truth, as some of the speakers that they're having now, but being full of grace and full of truth, I think is so important. Um, you know, it's it's a litmus test. I, I think also, you know, how they're addressing this concept of ethnicity or what they so-called race, which is racist. I mean, this is exactly what we're going to, Darwinism. That's a religion. I don't know if people knew that or not. Um, but it's that's kind of a litmus test for their biblical um, 
you know, authenticity and their biblical convictions. Because uh, you know, so I I have I've yet to speak um, at Bi- Biola, uh, but I, I do find problems with Christian schools in general where there's so much desire to be compassionate, but also fear of students and fear of man, and there needs to be fear more fear of God. Change isn't going to come just because you want it to. Change comes because you are intentionally taking steps to making that change. I aspire to be someone who continues to build bridges with other cultures and who cultivates a community that's healthy and honoring to the Lord and life-giving. Now after the program, I feel like I know what my purpose is and I know what I want to do going out into the world and how to not have this time to step back and just kind of be patient and be still and just listen. I don't think I would have had that same clarity. In this world, it's kind of like in a scream contest. Who can scream the loudest? And who's going to listen to that person yelling the loudest? And that person should be God. But he's not yelling, he's calling us. My hope going forward to interact with culture is to tell people like, hey, like, be still, listen to this guy is calling you. He's calling you home. You know, this is extremely important in this this current cultural moment where... I believe the conversation of transgenderism and homosexuality and bisexualism and all of that is just on the forefront of a young person's mind. It's knocking at their door. Are you this? If you want to, um, if you want to be a part of the marginalized group, especially for young white girls, you know, if you want to be not the oppressor that you are by birth, you need to become part of this category. Or if you haven't had a boyfriend and now you're 15, you might just be, you know, along the LGBTQ plus spectrum. When young people are looking for wisdom and maybe they're 19 and they're at a a Christian college who, you know, may support Preston Sprinkle, what do you see as the the problems or the the potential pitfalls that will um will impact a young person as they have some of these conversations? Ultimately, we always need to look at what is the ultimate goal of those that are addressing this. Um, and what you find is it really is grounded just in human effort be nicer, be a better person, uh, help the marginalized, um, just love. And this is not God's definition of love, but the secular definition of love, you do you, just just accommodate. Um, but we also need to recognize the kind of previous approach, which is don't do. That's also a human effort. The goal, ultimate goal that I would tell this 19-year-old or anyone else is the same message that I give to everyone, which is which also kind of confirms that it's biblical. When we kind of give these different, well, if this person does that, that person does this, we see that then we're kind of clouding it sort of with human reason and logic. Ultimately, it comes down to this. And, and this actually is uh, the first question and answer of my first lesson in my 12, you know, the 12 lesson series, 
uh, each of these video lessons has a question and answer. And the first question of lesson one, so it's almost like a catechism, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, 12 times, 12 lessons. The first question of lesson one is, what is the ultimate goal when it comes to sexuality? You would think from what we heard before, uh, some of the older versions was be abstinent, don't have sex. Or the newer one is be nicer. You know, these people that just had it so hard, we got to just treat them really well. And they've been hurt and marginalized and just, just love. That's not focusing on Christ. So the answer to this question, what's the ultimate goal when it comes to uh, sexuality? This is the answer. The ultimate goal when it comes to sexuality is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. In other words, and I forgot, uh, the ultimate goal is to glorify God by denying yourself, um, uh, picking up, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. It's very, very Christocentric. That applies to everyone. There's this misperception you know, that people like me somehow have it harder than um, others. I mean, I think that's why Jen Hatmaker and I would even say Andy Stanley, they have been jumping into the arms of rejecting biblical sexuality because they just, it's uh, these teenagers, they just have it so hard. So is our job as Christians to give people an easier life? Mm. Let's remind ourselves in the first century, what happened if you said you're a Christian, what happened? crucified. You'd yeah. be persecuted. You'd be thrown in jail. Yes. You would lose your job. All of that. We want a microwavable Christian life. Mm. You want things right now. You want things instantaneous. You want things easy. You want things happy. You, you, you want you want your happy, happy meal to be microwavable. Like it's just everything's instant and I just want things my way. There is no gospel apart from suffering. We don't ask for it. We don't seek it out, but because it's going to come. If you and I, we know this, we speak God's truth and it's going to be difficult. What happens? We're going to be attacked. We're going to be attacked by people on the right, on the left. We're going to be people attacked by people who look like you and me. I mean, what you're doing, I, you know, you're being attacked by people who look just like you and they're saying you're a sellout, you know? And, and, and for me, people who are not Christian, who are well, my good friends from years, years ago, I'm a sellout. Um, and, you know, but we need to realize that Christ, he's talking about this narrow path, not to the left, not to the right, not in front, not behind. And we need to give this biblical clarity of what God is calling us to. And we need to call out then things that are giving that distortion. One of my favorite quotes outside the Bible is from Charles Spurgeon. He said, get this, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Like a three-year-old, a five-year-old should be able to know the difference between right and wrong. That's not discernment. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and right and almost right. I mean, does Preston and others say some good things, right things? Yes, they do. Satan mentioned some right things. I mean, he quoted right from several times from scripture, from Deuteronomy. He just twisted it just a little bit. That trajectory of that twist is going to land off of Christ. So this is why it's so important that we need to lead people, not just a little bit left, a little bit to right. That trajectory can lead us and not land on Christ.
us. As we begin to wrap up, I just have a couple more questions for those of us who have young people in our lives or who may be at a church that is promoting side B, even unintentionally, what are some key phrases, key words that people should keep an ear out for that may be able to prick their, you know, their thoughts when they hear it or some authors or names that they should be watching out for? Yeah, I think it's important um, that... Uh, yet when we're listening, you know, we need to critique these concepts. Don't just don't just take these concepts wholeheartedly, wholesale, and without critiquing it. I, I sometimes hear people say, well, I want to use the term gay or lesbian, uh, you know, to part how to win people to Christ. Uh, this is also funny. People who try to uh, communicate things, you know, from side B, they like to use bigger words, phenomenology, or uh, missiology, you know, as ways that that's what's why they use the term gay. Um, so missiology is about missions and also evangelism outreach. Yes, that is important that we always need to keep that always in the forefront of our mind, but never ever use a sinful concept to try to win people to the to, to Christ. Never. Because what you're doing then is a bait and switch. You are not winning people to Christ. One of my favorite theology professors from Bible college, he said, what you win them with is what you win them to. Don't you love that? I got to say that again. What you win them with, meaning, and this applies to even you know churches. If, you, if you're winning people with programs or if you're winning people with your sound system, what have you won them, won them to? Not Christ but to that excellent sound system. And so when the next big church comes along with a wonderful sound system, they will go to that church. What you win them with is what you win them to. So if you're winning them with sinful categories, you've just won them to sin. So be very careful. I'm not saying we can't use those terms, but how are we using it? Are we saying this person identifies as gay or this person is gay? Because we're we're then playing into this worldly concept. And this is why I begin in my um, book and in this video series, I begin with identity. Actually, lesson two and lesson three is on identity. If we don't get that right, your trajectory is way off. So we need to begin there. This is not who you are. Uh, sexuality is should not be conflated with that. Sexuality is not who you are, but it's how we are. As a matter of fact, gay, straight, bi, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, don't define people. I know that could be like mind-blowing for someone right now. Heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, gay, straight, bi, don't define people. What do they define? They define our desires. They define our um, behaviors, our experience, our essence ontology is not the same thing as our experience. That's an existential reality, which is why, you know, and I think what you mentioned, are people born heterosexual? I don't know any baby that is born with sexual desires. We need to be clear, what is heterosexuality? It's having attractions. Um, and, uh, you know, and further, it, it's it's important for us to kind of think through, you know, heterosexuality, you know, if we are born to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex, you know, or we are created that way. What about Jesus? Was he created? He was not married. So actually any sexual desires that he had 
would be sinful. Um, and so remember, Jesus was perfectly man. Um, was Jesus created heterosexual? He wasn't married. Um, and he won't be married to an actual woman. He will be married to the bride of Christ in consummation on the last day. And even thinking through, there is no marriage in eternity. So we, when we think, oh, well, well, we're created for marriage, were we created for marriage? Jesus wasn't created for marriage between a man and a woman. The earthly concept of marriage, eternal concept of marriage, yes, a spiritual concept of marriage, which is what Paul points to in Ephesians 5, but there's no marriage in eternity. So is heterosexuality then actually what we're created? Because that should be something that's eternal. Here's what's even more mind-blowing. Sexuality is temporary. Sex, male and female, is eternal. How is sexuality temporary? Follow my logic. There's no marriage in, in eternity, Matthew chapter 22. If there's no marriage in eternity, there that means there's no sex in eternity as well, meaning uh, not there is male or female. I'm talking about the, there's no sexual intercourse in eternity because sexual intercourse is only reserved for marriage and that's been fulfilled in Christ. So, and if there's, follow my logic, if there's no sexual intercourse in eternity, that also means there's no sexual desires because that we will have no unfulfilled sexual desires in eternity, which means sexuality is only a here and now reality for our time now but it will be fulfilled in Christ just as marriage is fulfilled in Christ, sex is uh, fulfilled in Christ. So when people say, we are been created to be fruitful and multiply only on this side of eternity, we will not be fruitful and multiply yeah. in eternity. eternity. So, you know, it's it's helpful for us to understand that and, um, you, you know, and to see, you know, what, what, what we, just be careful. Don't be using these terms. I don't identify as straight. I don't identify as gay. I might have these temptations. I'm open to getting married to some of the opposite sex, which t God can totally do. There's this misperception that I don't believe in transformation. Absolutely not. When people say that, they don't understand the biblical concepts of repentance and transformation, as if we can separate those two. The Bible does not separate repentance from transformation. Actually, the Hebrew word for repentance is a Hebrew word, shuv, which is an action to turn, turn from your sins and turn to God and holiness. So there is total in Christ, there is total transformation linked to salvation and repentance. Um, and so we need to think what, you know, what are the terms? Are we using these terms in the wrong way? That's one, but also are we using this kind of critical theory framework, which is the new worldview of the day that these are marginalized. These people have it harder than any of us. I sometimes get that when people are like, oh, you must have it so hard. You know, you have to deny yourself or whatever. And I said, no, I really don't have it harder than any of you. Jesus says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Following Jesus should cost us everything. If it hasn't, we're following the wrong Jesus. So it's really important to kind of use these right categories. Okay. Um, gosh, you said a lot, and I really want to like dig in, but I know we're at time. I know. Um, I do want to ask two more questions and I will wrap these in together. Can you list out some names or resources for people that they can um, look into when they are wanting to understand more about biblical or holy sexuality? And then yes. tell us about your curriculum and how people can access your curriculum and stay in contact with you. 
Well, I'm going to mention who I believe is the most important voice when it comes to sexuality and gender, and it's Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. Um, She is also a real good friend. Uh, She calls my mom, mom. Her kids call me Uncle Christopher, but it's not just because I'm biased. Well, I am biased. You know, I'll have to be. I I think it's important to admit when we are biased and when we're not, because many of the secular people try to pretend that they're not biased. But uh, just read her books. In my mind, I'll I'll give that qualification. I do believe she's the most important voice. So she has four books. Well, three that are out. Uh, Maybe, I'm sorry, uh, the other one just came out. So she has four books. One is Openness Unhindered. That's her, um, or I'm sorry, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. That's her memoir, Openness Unhindered, which is talking about sexual identity using philosophy and theology as a framework to understand sexual identity, which is the first book of its kind like that because the others were more exegesis or practical theology, which sometimes you can get off on your practical theology if you don't do good exegesis and theology. But I didn't see anyone that was doing good theology, having a theology of sexuality on this. Um, And she was one of the first. Her book actually was kind of an impetus for holy sexuality in the gospel. Her third book is on some practical theology. It's called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, uh, talking about gospel hospitality. And her fourth book just came out all of you guys have to get it. it is the she's written three phenomenal book this book is amazing it's called five lies of this anti-christian world it addresses side b it addresses gender identity and 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 oftentimes people are trying to say oh we need to be just nice to these people they're oppressed and so we need to use gender hospitality again i gotta be very clear hospital it is nothing you're not being hospitable by by saying lies. It is not hospitable to promote a sinful category. Um, so what is most hospitable is point people to Christ. Using false concepts is a bait and switch. Now, when it comes to uh, pronouns, I... What I promote is do not use those so-called preferred pronouns, which are really mandated pronouns, but I'm okay with not using any third-person pronouns. It's It might be tedious and a little bit cumbersome and hard, but at least my conscience will be clear that I'm not accommodating, nor am I, I'm not going to be pushing any buttons, and I'm fine with that. I could use something else like my friend, my coworker, my, my sibling, uh, my child. Those are all things. Now, um, names, you could, if it's a loved one, if it's your, if it, this is your son or daughter, come to a middle ground and say, let's use an initial. Uh, but um, I, now if it's a stranger, you don't even know what their name was before. I'm, I'm in some cases like that, I, I'd be okay with the name, like myself. My name is Christopher, which I go by Christopher, not Chris uh, anymore, because Chris takes the cross out, Christ out of my name, Christopher. But let's just say even the word, uh, named Chris. That could be male or female. Pat <laughs> could be male or female. Uh, but in those situations where it's your loved one, your child, I wouldn't use the name that they're tr- the new name. And you could use come to a middle ground and maybe an initial something like that. But I, we want to be full of grace and full of truth when communicating on these things. So um, she's done an excellent job. Uh, Beckett Cook is also a helpful resource. Um, and then my my book that I wrote with my mom, Out of a Far Country, has a study guide in the back. Holy Sexuality in the Gospel also has a study guide. Many small groups are using that. But the most thing excited is this video curriculum, one of its kind, first of its kind, that's not just a program. What do I mean by that? Oftentimes, these resources are kind of for the youth group. 
that gives the impression that the one that should be talking about biblical sexuality should be the youth pastor. And they should do that. And maybe it's once a year, but do we think that once a year is enough? Furthermore, the youth pastor does not replace the parent. The primary place that biblical sexuality should be taught is home discipleship in the home, not so much in the classroom, but in the living room. So this is the first of its kind that's actually really bringing it back to where it ought to be, not just another program, not just something, another curriculum, but it's something that is to promote conversations in the home. Here's a great story. A, a pastor said, um, you know, we... Uh, he, he went through it in, in 12 days, uh, every single day. So in two weeks, he finished it with his 14-year-old son and his 16-year-old daughter. They went through lesson one, and his son said this to his dad. He's like, Dad, this is just so weird. I'm talking to my parents about sex. Totally understandable. I'm not surprised. I think even parents would say that. At the end of lesson 12, you know what happened? The, the, this pastor said to his son, he's like, so do you, do you still feel awkward or weird? He said, no, Dad. Wow. Not, not at all. That's awesome. I know that's a win. Like that's yeah. our goal. We are not the end all be all. Christ is. This is just a resource to point people to Christ and to our goal is to empower youth to understand, embrace, and celebrate biblical sexuality, but also to to kind of spark this rhythm of conversations that will go beyond high school into college and even yes. the adult years. Yes, yes, yes. And what is your website? Sure. My speaking and uh, ministry is just ChristopherYuan.com. That's my name. But also the video resource is at HolySexuality.com. You guys can get get a, 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 an account. You can watch Lesson 2 for free, and you will see right away this is very high quality. This was a $1.2 million project, wow. and it was funded by donors. It should cost at least, you'll see the ones out there that are 200. It's nowhere near the quality of ours. So That's ours awesome. should be 300 to 500. We're actually only charging 20 because our donors and our board want everyone, single moms, grandparents, to be able to have this resource to throw a lifeline to our children that are yes. drowning in a tsunami of lies. Now, I have been sitting here and I should be saying thank you very much, but I've been sitting here and wondering um, one last thing. If I were on the other side or um, like devil's advocate, because you said that Christ did not like because he was perfect, he didn't sin. And, and can we call, consider him heterosexual? What do you do with the idea um, like if someone were to say, well, he was tempted in all of the ways that we were tempted, though he was perfect and did not sin. Yeah. So temptation is different from desire. We need to be kind of clear uh, of that. Um, he was tempted in every way, the writer of Hebrews says, but he was without sin. And orientation is something, uh, at least the way that it's uh, uh defined by the American Psychiatric Psychological Association, which is not, I, I don't recommend that I always go there, but there really are very few definitions of orientation, and we're just going to take that. Uh, the American Psychological Association calls it a pattern of attractions. Jesus might have been tempted in every way, but it never says that he had like a pattern. In other words, it was like a cycle or it was continuous that that is not communicated uh, from that text. Like I always want to be very. I don't want to say this is what I think. I want to say what Scripture says. Um, so we have that, um, and 
So uh, we don't have it, see that he had any pattern. But more importantly, like we need to remember, um, was he heterosexual again? That's making this concept that sometimes our desires are our person. I, I, I hope, I mean, that's one of the biggest things is that we need to separate sexuality from personhood. This is not who we are. It's what we experience. It's what we desire. A desire is not equivalent to essence. So is a person a heterosexual? I would actually more accurately say, does this person have heterosexual desires? Okay. That's much more accurate as opposed to saying that we are born this, you know, this way or born that way. Because also ultimately in end times, none of us will have any sexual attraction. So the, the whole concept of sexuality will all be fulfilled and restored in Christ. Christopher, thank you so much. I but I could not go without asking that last question. So good thank question. You. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for all of the education and the resources and just be, spending time here with us. We are so grateful. I yes. will talk with you later. Sounds good. Let's do it again. All right. Sounds Bye. Good. You guys, oh my gosh, that conversation was amazing. I have learned so much, especially the distinction between side A, the side that says you can be a gay Christian, you can get married and live your life honoring to Christ in a marriage that is homosexual. And then side B that would say, that I can enter into these spiritual friendships with someone of the same sex, basically a homosexual marriage, even if they wouldn't use that term and live happily worshiping Jesus as long as I am not participating in homosexual intercourse. Those, I think those two distinctions were very, very interesting and enlightening for me to really grapple with exactly what is being said and how young people are being indoctrinated or invited into one of these two ways of thinking about sexuality. And then we look at someone like Christopher Yuan or Beckett Cook or Rosaria Butterfield who have a biblical understanding of, of identity and of sexuality. And what does it mean to be a human person created in the image of God and to live your life in holiness, not to live your life from the proclivity of heterosexuality or the proclivity of of homosexuality and as and have that as your identity but to understand that I am first created in God's image and when I come into Christ I am now a child of God which is my greatest identity and to live from that point from the point of holiness from the point of someone who loves and honors God first and so I'm super thankful for Christopher and just really appreciate him. You know who I appreciate more than was his mama. Let me tell you that. Like his mama is on point. If you ever get a chance to meet his mama, I call her mama you want. Like if you ever get a chance to meet her, just amazing. So super grateful for their ministry together and for Christopher's ministry. So thank you so much for watching. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week. <laughs>